hello and welcome to what is now called the Film Recommendation Podcast. Um, I'm your host Andrew Furlong. Not much has changed um, except the name really. So uh, with that in mind, let's get on to the first movie that I watched this week. And that was Lone Star, the 1996 film directed by John Sayles. Um, starring Chris Cooper, Elizabeth Pena, Matthew McConaughey and Stephen Mendelow. Um, now, Lone Star takes place in this Texas border town, a kind of a small town where everybody knows each other's families. Um, families who have lived there have shared backstories that stretch back generations. We have um, illegal immigrants crossing the border who are looked down on by a woman who made the trip herself as a youngster and now regularly um, chastises her Mexican family for not speaking English. Um, We have a sheriff played by Chris Cooper um, trying to live up to the legend that was his dad and not being able to compare in the eyes of the townspeople anyway. Um, We have a colonel who recently um, took up a job as a commander in the airbase in the town um, who refuses to reconcile with his estranged father um, who he resents for leaving him as a child. Um, History weighing heavy on the present and the future is a big part of this movie. Um, Lone Star is even framed around a murder mystery uh, when a body suspected to be that of a previous uh, sheriff who disappeared years ago is found. And the case itself unfolds in flashbacks that the camera nicely transitions to in very subtle and non-intrusive ways. Now, while all this uh, all forms an interesting setup and indeed setting, and the character's actions and motivations are well realized and fully fleshed out. One of my major problems with Lone Star is um, that it doesn't feel very cinematic and its pacing plays out like a series finale of a cable TV show. I've talked about my issue with um, TV like pacing in movies before and I think my biggest problem is does it justify watching something unfold um, that feels like one episode of a TV show? I mean, is it worth um, watching it? Something like um, Only Lovers Left Alive doesn't have to justify itself in the same way, for example, because it has enough cinematic flair um, to separate itself from the medium. But when something is particularly um, televisual in its look and pacing, Um, does the movie uh, do enough to work as a standalone piece in its own right after all I love The Wire um, but taken as just one episode it wouldn't be worth it I don't think Um, movies like The Squid and the Whale for instance fail the test and at the end enough is left unresolved in movies like that um, to make the film seem like a a pointless experience luckily um, Lone Star by framing the episode so to speak uh, around a murder mystery gives it a nice standalone feel and a clear arc um, that makes it a little less disappointing when some of the other interweaving plots and characters don't get fully resolved. Um, Not that I need closure for my movies, but I don't like when some movies leave me um, feeling like I'm only halfway through the tale. And as much as I enjoyed Lone Star, it, it does leave you with the impression that there is more to the story um, that is yet to be revealed. I don't know if that was the intention of its writing or down to the fact that modern TV has become a far more effective platform uh, for telling these types of stories uh, since Lone Star's release in 1996. Um, But it is a recommendation, um, but just have that in mind, I think, when you're watching it. Um, The next movie I watched was Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland. Um, starring Oscar Isaac, Domhnall Gleeson and Alicia Vakander. 
Um, now, Alex Garland, uh, this is the guy who wrote the screenplays for 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Dread and The Beach. And we all know 28 Days Later and Sunshine were on the way uh, to being classics until their messy final acts. Um, but Garland is a very imaginative writer and a master of coming up with something unique, even when using the most overtold of storytelling premises um, that film has to offer. Um, he refreshed the zombie genre in 28 Days Later by having fast-paced zombies, changing the tactical dynamics needed to survive. Um, even Dread, a superhero movie, uh, was set within the confines of a massive building for its whole runtime, offering something a little bit different um, from the normal superhero movies. Um, so when I looked at the posters for this and saw a picture of a cyborg-looking woman accompanied by the tagline, there is nothing more human than the will to survive, I should have known better than to expect something like iRobot. The film starts with a computer programmer named Caleb um, winning a competition to spend a week in the mountains uh, with the CEO of a company he works for, played by Oscar Isaac. Um, when Caleb gets to this location, which looks like a, a James Bond bad guy's private island, he meets the CEO who informs him he will talk to a robot to determine if he has created artificial intelligence. Um, this robot, by the way, looks like a sort of female, humanoid, uh, cyborg type thing. Um, Ex Machina is essentially a three-hander movie from that point on, and Oscar Isaac basically um, plays the CEO like Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons and makes uh, Ex Machina a hell of a lot of fun in doing so. I mean, we clearly suspect he's some sort of supervillain, up to dastardly stuff and has horrible secrets but um he carries himself with such a positive and a happy-go-lucky and happy to help demeanor um that makes it really off-putting like he tells caleb things like um don't think of him as a boss think of him as more of a friend uh, like david brent or something and rather than me wasting uh time showing you where you can and can't go anything your key card can open it's for you Anything that it doesn't open, you can't go into. I mean, we just know something sinister is going on and we are always uneasy. Um, but it's the slow revealing of that sinister story um, with a memorable Oscar Isaac performance that makes X uh, Machina uh, that little bit more thrilling. Uh, Oscar Isaac is so good an actor that if he played multiple characters at a dinner table like Eddie Murphy in the movie Nutty Professor... He would be nominated for an award for each performance. Uh, I think he's an amazing actor. Um, he's cast as Apocalypse in the new X-Men movies. Uh, but Morph might have been a better fit. Because he's so chameleon-like in uh, his roles. He can play anybody he wants. So anybody expecting this year's iRobot can rest assured um, that this is a much more cerebral uh, take on robots and artificial intelligence. And I highly recommend that one. Hello, I am Baymax your personal healthcare companion. Uh, hey, uh, ba Baymax, I didn't know you were still active. I heard a sound of distress. What seems to be the trouble? Oh, I just stubbed my toe a little. I'm fine. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your pain? A zero? I I'm okay, really. Thanks, y you can shrink now. Does it hurt when I touch it? That's no, no, okay. No, no touching. I am fine. <sighs> You have fallen. You think? 
on a scale of one on a scale on a scale on a scale of one to ten on a scale of one to ten how would you rate your pain zero it is all right to cry no 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 crying is a natural response to pain i'm not crying i will scan you for injuries don't scan me scan complete unbelievable you have sustained no injuries However, your hormone and neurotransmitter levels indicate that you are experiencing mood swings, common in adolescence. Diagnosis? Puberty. Whoa, what? So, from female human bots on James Bond, bad guy islands, to cute stay puffed looking marshmallow bots that are comic geniuses now, as I review Big Hero 6. Um, the first thing to say about Big Hero 6 is that it is the Marvel movie that Marvel could only have dreamed of making, um, but has the feel of something that Pixar might have done. Um, one of the Marvel Universe's biggest problem on screen is that you have movies like Iron Man, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy essentially being written uh, for 14 year olds or, or maybe by 14 year olds um, but hoping to make them appeal to all ages at the same time. I mean I watched Captain America and I heard uh, what I think it was the Minister of Defence uttering the line, if somebody so much as tweets about it, I want to know. I mean, very cringeworthy stuff. Um, by taking this by the numbers approach uh, to their films and by cashing in on the stock of the superheroes, um, their movies are usually awful and void of any kind of originality and uh, creativity. Um, sure, they're the spiritual successor to all those great wisecracking action movies of the 90s, uh, like Die Hard, True Lies, Speed and so on, uh, but like if they were written by a concerned parent hoping to not expose their uh, son Jimmy's sensitive ears to anything that might upset his fragile mind, um, basically stripping them movies of all that was good about them. Well, Big Hero 6 has moments of sadness, great action and some pretty cool superheroes um, to go with that as well but it's the comic genius that is the healthcare robot named Baymax that elevates this movie to the next level and he really is a comic genius uh, whether it's in his subtle movements as he ambles around the room knocking over things or how he literally acts like somebody who is insanely drunk whenever his battery is low or his deadpan delivery of I can't run fast uh, when in the middle of a chase scene. Um, this guy will make you laugh. There is no attempt uh, to make him human in any way either. He's clearly a robot and a lot of the comedy comes from his interactions with humans in pre-programmed robot dialogue. I mean, he, he tells one boy his mood swings are from his pubescent uh, adolescent urges um, with no sense of irony in the slightest. Um, if this robot had a world comedy tour, I would be front row every night. He's that funny. Um, no word of a lie. He actually made me puke up with laughter. Um, yeah. Now I'm going to pull back the curtain of film criticism for a minute and admit at the time I was sitting draped on a sofa eating my third cheeseburger with a big bucket of Coca-Cola at the time, but it is a true story nonetheless, unfortunately. Um, but that's how strong a reaction I had to this movie and I just think it's a wonderful movie and will be universally liked by all. Um, but for something that's marketed to his kids, it, it does have moments of sadness and moments that are more affecting the movies of any classification are able to achieve normally um, so that's Big Hero 6 and I highly recommend that movie. The next film I watched is Walk Hard The Dewey Cox Story um, starring John C. Reilly. Um, now what's so great about Dewey Cox is in its 
lampooning of the music uh, biopic genre. Uh, movies like Ray or Walk the Line. It's essentially a spoof of these type of movies. But it's played completely serious and very straight. Which makes its absurd nature even more funny. I mean, uh, Dewey is haunted from the horrible death of his dead brother uh, from his childhood. Um, much like Johnny Cash and Ray Charles are portrayed as being haunted by in their biopics. Uh, except in Dewey's case, he accidentally cut his brother in half with a machete um, his father will often tell him you're half the man your brother was even before you cut him in half <laughs> i mean john c Riley is a guy who can easily weave between comedy and serious roles like a master um we've seen it in movies like magnolia and gangs of new york uh while even in movies like the promotion he toes the line beautifully um so he's perfectly casting this um, Walk Hard makes fun of every mistake biopics make, like how their wives are portrayed as nags who get in the way of their dreams and are reduced to holding their babies in virtually every scene. Um, once they're promoted from stunning new girlfriend to wife or how which has always been a problem artistic inspiration is depicted on screen like how they come up with the most famous song uh like a eureka moment uh when the title just comes to them and the lyrics usually reflect events that is directly happening uh in the movie also i mean these biopics are more on the nose than pinocchio being film snorting cocaine and lying about taking it straight after and Walkhart has great fun spoofing the on-the-nose nature of biopics and it should be a lesson to other spoof movies that you don't always have to go down the route of extreme ridiculous antics to make a, a spoof movie funny. Uh, you can get as much mileage by treating spoofing as an art in itself, um, not some cheap goofy comedy that is cashing in on the movies of the time. Uh, and as much as I enjoyed uh, Dewey Cox uh, personally, I will mention two things. Um, firstly, after a while I wished it was slightly trimmed down as it got slightly repetitive towards the end. Uh, but I have since found out that I was watching the extended version. So I didn't watch the 96 minute version uh, which is a much more suitable running time for this sort of thing. Um, secondly, uh, like most comedies it isn't for everyone. Uh, but I think in the case of Dewey Cox that statement is particularly true. Uh, it has a kind of subtle, absurd humour uh, that requires an understanding of what it is um, making fun of in the first place in, in order to be fully appreciated, I think. Uh, um, but like I say, I enjoyed it and it is worth having a look at. The next film I will be reviewing is The Hunt, starring Mads Mikkelsen and directed by Thomas Venterberg. Um, now we all know Mads from Casino Royale, the Hannibal TV series and Valhalla Rising and he usually plays characters with very menacing undertones. Uh, but the school teacher he plays in this, uh, Lucas, in, in The Hunt, couldn't be further from these characters um, as he hides behind his glasses looking like a Danish Clark Kent filled with virtue. He's divorced, has a new love interest, um, wants his son to come live with him. He's a very normal, well-liked guy in the community. Um, he has lived there all his life. All that changes, however, when he is accused of a heinous crime and it changes his life drastically. I mean, it's not a very good week uh, for small towns in this episode of the Film Recommendation Podcast, is it? Um, between the small town antics of Lone Star I mentioned earlier and what happens in The Hunt. Um, now, I don't think there is any doubt in The Hunt that Lucas is innocent, uh, bar some shocking twist at the end occurring. Uh, which doesn't happen by the way. Uh, this isn't a movie like the 2008 film Doubt either where you're meant to question the innocence of the character 
Um, this movie is much more interested in what happens when somebody is accused of a horrible crime and how the perception of that person changes within a close-knit community, regardless of guilt or not. And I think not questioning his innocence, uh, in the eyes of the viewer anyway, allows the hunt more breathing space to explore these issues. Now, at the same time, you can totally understand everybody's reaction to Lucas uh, considering the nature of the crime, and that's what makes the hunt so engrossing. In fact, not only is it engrossing, but it's also an essential lesson for humanity itself uh, when it comes to judgment and what it means to presume something about somebody without having any sort of real evidence. Um, the hunt is so true to life that it's frightening and could easily happen to anybody, and how he gets uh, ostracized from a community that has known him his whole life, including best friends from as far back as his school days. It's really scary, trust me. And what makes The Hunt even more absorbing is uh, you can't see any way at all for this character to possibly prove his innocence and get out of this situation as his life spirals further downwards. Um, it's such a delicate area and subject. It was a brave move by the director to tackle this movie. Um, it's uncomfortable, far from easy going, but the horror of it all will stay with you long after you finish watching. Um, so I would highly recommend that movie. That is The Hunt. 25 years of marriage and you have nothing to say? I'll just say it. I slept with someone. If you, you keep count. talking, but, I'm going to get I, out of the car. I think the fact that I did it, it just shows how broken we are. Okay. How much, how much we really... Oh my God! You're getting a divorce? Yeah. Amy heard you crying in the bathroom. We all thought it was cancer. Oh. Thank God, man. Yeah, just my relationship. <laughs> Hi, can I buy you a drink? Uh-huh. Let's get out of here. Want to get out of here? Yeah. What are you doing later? <laughs> I don't know. I do. There's lots of beautiful women in this bar, but I can't take my eyes off of you. It's time to go home. Oh, it's forward of you, but okay. Yeah. Should uh, I pull the car around? Have you been drinking? I'll drive. Hey, ladies man guy. Any tips of the trade? Your wife cheated on you because you lost sight of who you are as a man. Why don't you take that straw out of your mouth? It looks like you're sucking on it. <coughs> okay. The next film I watched was Crazy Stupid Love, which is a romantic comedy starring Steve Carell, uh, Julian Moore, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. A, a great cast for sure, and that is one of the many things that Crazy Stupid Love has going for it. Um, listen, I'm the type of guy that will watch any genre without prejudice. Sure, there are some genres that I like more than others, uh, but generally, a great movie will shine through, whether it's from my favourite genres like sci-fi and westerns, or my least favourite genres, horror and romantic comedies. In, in fact, it can actually mean even more when one of your least favourite genres surprises you, and Crazy Stupid Love is a nice surprise. Um, the job of a romantic comedy is to make you laugh, feel sadness and joy, but the real trick about doing that, at least uh, when it comes to me, is let me feel these emotions because as much as it can make me laugh, uh, there's enough natural heart in the story to draw that response in an organic way. It's the difference between movies like Juno, The Devil's Wears Prada, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, these movies rely on the puking up rainbows approach to making you feel sweet inside. Whereas movies like Hump Day, Enough Said, The Way Way Back manages to solicit these same emotions without you even realising that was its intention all along. Uh, that's when you know you have something really good. But even putting that to one side, having Steve Carell as a recently divorced man uh, struggling with life 
and trying to adjust to the newly single life by hanging around in bars, looking like a cross between a hobo and a relic uh, from a dating scene of bygone years. Uh, but whoever came up with the idea to team Steve Carell uh, with a character played by a ladies man, Ryan Gosling, as Ryan becomes his kind of dating mentor, um, whoever came up with that idea is a genius uh, because that pairing alone is a lightning rod for comedy and Carell is an expert in playing sympathetic characters which only makes you root for him more. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love also does a great job of showing all the different sides of love, heartbreak, unrequited love, fantasy and so on. Um, it even manages to weave in a holy fuck moment, for want of a better word, uh, that I don't think many people will see coming at all. Uh, just when you think the stakes couldn't possibly peak any higher. It also manages to subvert a lot of pitfalls that romantic comedies fall into as well. Um, so much so that it would be a genuine spoiler uh, to reveal anything about those moments. Um, by the time you're finished with uh, watching Crazy Stupid Love, you will have a, a wide smile on your face uh, that you won't uh, be able to even remember how it got there in the first place. And unlike other films of its type that tries to force that feel-good feeling upon you, um, Crazy Stupid Love manages to do it with very little effort. It's, it's a very good movie and it will tell you all you need to uh, know about love, basically. So check that one out. The final film I will be reviewing this week is Starred Up. It, it stars Jack O'Connell and Ben Mendelsohn and is directed by David McKenzie. Uh, now just in case anybody thinks with a name like Starred Up, it's this year's feel-good dance musical extravaganza. Uh, the term is actually a prison term used to describe a youth offender that's had an early transfer to an adult prison. Um, Jack O'Connell is that prisoner as he gets transferred to a gritty prison in this UK film. Um, now this movie has been lauded critically, uh, but for me I, I found Startup extremely problematic from the start. Um, now I don't mind gritty movies, or, or indeed um, gritty prison movies, but I think if they aren't grounded by some kind of realism, or at least the rules of its own world, um, Gritty can just mean extremely over the top. Uh, like for instance, the film The Dark Knight could never be described as realistic, uh, but the world in which it's set does seem to have a certain logic um, that allows it to be believable. Um, Startup seems completely void of any of this logic and as a result comes across as a mess of a movie where everybody is free to do what they want uh, without any consequence basically. Um, Jack O'Connell is only in the prison for about 5 minutes and he's already nearly killed a prisoner and assaulted multiple prison officers without any believable consequence. Um, Startup is so gung-ho about pushing his central teams about the possibility of violent defenders being reformed um, that the movie suffers as a result. It seems like multiple movies in one uh, also which doesn't help. Uh, we have the therapy scenes where violent defenders sit around and discuss their problems with the enigmatic Oliver who works for free for some reason that is never explored. Um, the therapy sessions are arguably the most interesting part of Startup but they're pretty much abandoned as the movie then explored the relationship between Jack O'Connell's uh, character's dad who is also in the prison. His dad played by uh, Mendelssohn uh, would never express his love for his son but would fucking kill any cunt who harms him because he loves his son. I, I mean the movie tries to uh, take on too much and by not tackling one thing specifically, um, you never get a feel for any of these moments by the time the movie has ended. It felt like a jumble of over-the-top crap and cliches for me. Um, there is a good movie in here somewhere, it, it just never got made. And 
Jack O'Connell has got a lot of plaudits for this role and I can see why as it's the more showy of performances um, but it's really the master that is Ben Mendelsohn uh, that is a standout performance and started off for me. I mean check out Mendelssohn's scene in The Dark Knight Rises uh, just to see how versatile he is. It's the scene where he thinks he's in control of Bane because he has financed his whole operation. See how well uh, Mendelssohn sells Bane as this imposing figure especially after watching Mendelssohn as a hard man himself from Startup. Uh, it's great stuff. Anyway, I found Startup uh, very underwhelming despite my expectations going in and I would struggle to recommend it. Now, as we get to the end of the show, we play a game called uh, Kevin's Bacon Sandwich, inspired by the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. I will name an actor from uh, some films I reviewed this week, and you have to link them together through the movies they were in. Um, so, for example, last week we asked you to link Michael Keaton to Joel Edgerton. Um, Michael Keaton was in Birdman with Naomi Watts, and Naomi Watts was in Ned Kelly with Joel Edgerton. Um, so this week's Kevin's Bacon Sandwich question is, link Oscar Isaac to Jack O'Connell. And that's the end of the show. As always, I am Andrew Furlong and you have now more movies to watch.